House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are at the interview part of the show. So uh, joining me today, we have an author, Tom Mendocino. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, I'm not sure if I said your name. Was it Mendocino or Mendocino? Well, technically, it is Mendocino, but my father was first generation, and like many first generations who were born in 1921, he decided that uh, he needed to Americanize it. So, uh, much to my grandfather's chagrin, he changed it to Mendocino. Um, and unlike many people of my generation, I decided that if it was good enough for my father, it's good enough for me. So I'm still Mendocino. So uh, I go by Mendocino. Okay. Hey, just making sure. I always like to do that. Um, now let's talk about uh, let's talk about Tom. So Tom, you've written several books. Um, before we get into the books themselves and that, um, when did it start for you? Like what? What made you start writing and write your first book? Uh, how far back do you really want to go? <laughs> I was born. Uh, no, no. Just, uh, was, there, was there something that clicked? You know, like, for, uh, like you know, something that all of a sudden you were like, "I got to write this." Or where did where did well? It there's there's a big long gap there um, because originally. Um, I, I'm, I'm 66 years old. I'm no spring chicken. And I, um, originally, I was encouraged, uh, to become a writer when I was an undergraduate at Penn. And I did a seminar with a gentleman named Jerry Mangione, who is somewhat forgotten now. But he had written a book called Monte Allegro, and which was uh, what you now call autofiction, people call it. And um, he was a WPA writer. And he, he, he had a quite a long and successful career. And one of the things that um, had always disturbed him was that while Italian-Americans were very accomplished in many of the arts, um, uh, painting. Uh, as a matter of fact, his nephew was the jazz musician Chuck Mangione. That there really wasn't much of a presence of Italian Americans in literature. Um, there was John Fonte was an exception. Um, his name is escaping me right now, but the gentleman that wrote Christ in Concrete. So I had. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a gay man, but I had a, a girlfriend then. I was sort of bisexual at that time. And she had entered a seminar with Philip Roth. So she encouraged me to take a seminar with Jerry Mangione. And he thought that I had uh, a lot of talent. And he particularly was interested in me because he was encouraging uh, a young Italian-American to write fiction. Uh, he then... Penn did not have um, a right, a, a really, although they had, you know, a few individuals like Philip Roth and Jerry Mangione there, they didn't have a really established writing program. So, but one uh, university that did at that time in the 70s was the University of Pittsburgh. So he encouraged me to take a sabbatical, and I spent a semester at the University of Pittsburgh. And there, um, I uh, Mark Harris, who was the author of Bang the Drum Slowly and uh, a whole series of baseball novels. Um, he's best known now for the movie, which started the career of Robert De Niro. He took me under the wing and under his wing, and he encouraged me to uh, apply to the University of Denver, which had a very acclaimed MFA program at the time, and he had been in that program. So, uh, because of these two gentlemen, um, I had be I began to write, and I, I liked writing a lot, and I wrote um, a novel, and they referred me to an agent, 
And um, by hook or crook, I did not like teaching. I did not like being in an MFA program. Uh, I got on a bus and hitchhiked my way across the country. And um, I was so full of myself when the agent suggested that I make changes before she would submit it to a publisher. Um, I wouldn't do it. And that put the kibosh on my writing career. And um, so uh, talk about uh, being sort of a fool of yourself and yeah. uh, mistakes you made way back then. Um, so I, I, I did, I, I, what happened at that point in time was I, um, I still love books a lot, and I segued into a career in publishing at that point in time. Oh. And at that point, um, I met a, I, I didn't know how to type, believe it or not, which was really a handicap for being a young writer. So in those days, and I believe this is still true, in publishing they didn't have um, assistants uh, or what was then called secretaries. Um, they would take kids from very, you know, from, from colleges, and they would act as, um, you know, sort of editorial assistants to the uh, editors. But really what you were, you were a glorified secretary. And if you didn't know how to type, uh, those jobs were shut down to you. And the only other way, your only other entry position into publishing was to go into sales and marketing. So I worked at a small place called the Architectural Book Publishing Company, and that place went bankrupt after a few years, and I ended up at Columbia University Press. And I had a great time there for five years, and I met a woman who became a really terrific friend of mine, then she, her name is Rachel Clayman. Um, she is still in publishing today. She is at Crown. Uh, I believe she's title is executive editor. She is um, Barack Obama's um, editor, and she is currently working on his memoirs. Wow. Um, and um, so she did quite well, but at Am I rambling on too much? No, or is no, this, this, okay. is, no, this okay. is great. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, uh, so after five years, though, um, I sort of, I sort of hit a dead end, and I didn't want to be a salesman the rest of my life. And I knew that I was never going to break into the editorial side of the of the business. And my other mentor at Penn was. Um, a woman named Elaine Scary, uh, and she said to me, and I went back to her and I said, I, I, I don't know what to do with my life, and she said, you should do what I told you to do when you made that foolish decision to go to enter an MFA program, because I told you you don't have the personality to go into academics. You have a big mouth and a hard head and aggressive personality, go to law school. <laughs> so I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and spent three of the happiest years of my life actually in law school because I, I loved I actually loved law school more than I loved being a lawyer, although I'm very happy being a lawyer and I, I do like it. And um, so I took a very different path. But about, oh, God, when was it? Maybe somewhere, maybe 20 years later. Um, I can't remember when I published my first book anymore. But um, Rachel had already had quite, uh, I can't remember, I think she was at Simon & Schuster at the time. But she had already had her first kid. I think she might have already had her second kid at the time. Um, but she was living out in Brooklyn. And um, it was like a Sunday afternoon, and they still had great independent bookstores at the time. And we were spending an afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, walking through a bookstore, and they had all those beautiful tables laid out with all those wonderful covers. And she just looked up for me very wistfully, and she sighed, and she says, y you know, I, I, I always 
expected that someday I would walk into one of these stores and I would look down and see a novel by Tom Mendocino, you know, the book jacket that said a novel by Tom Mendocino. And, and I was kind of crushed. And I just decided at that moment that, like, um, I love what I do, but there's nothing that would stop me from trying this and giving it a hand at this point in my life. And I started to write at that point in time, um, that already had this first sort of surge of, of gay literature. It was after like the Violet Quill and Edmund White had, had, had and, and that whole group and Felice Picano and, and Robert Farrow and all those people and then had all their success and that wave had come through. And, um, and there were a lot of avenues to publish short gay fiction or a lot of uh, opportunities to publish short gay fiction. And I started to write short stories and I sent them out. And of course there was the usual rejections at first. And then they started to get placed. And I decided to do, try my hand at doing a novel. And um, the first one, the first draft was a mess, and I showed it to Rachel, and um, she was nothing if not blatantly honest and said, um, you know, I always knew you had a hell of a lot of talent, but this is a POS, <laughs> um, and, um, you know, but I said, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong. She says, No. I used to work with a woman at Doubleday who's now a freelance editor. And she ain't cheap, but you're a lawyer, and you make good money, and I'm going to give her a call, and I know she's busy, and let's see if she'll take you on. And that woman's name is Casey Fuchs. And she worked with me for a year, and we turned that into something and I then took that back, and then the hardest part, as it is for any writer, I believe, was not finding a publisher, was that finding an agent. And that was probably the most gruesome and heartbreaking, you know, Oh, send me the pages, send me this, send me that, I love this, this. And then you wait, and then you'd hear, and then it was like, oh, this isn't for me. <laughs> and finally, um, I sent something to an agent named Mitchell Waters, and I never heard from him. And I was just about ready to give up, and I figured, what the hell, I'm going to send it to him again. And three weeks later, I get this phone call from Mitchell Waters. And he says, hi, um, I like those 30 pages. Could you send me the rest? And the rest was history. And that's how I became a writer. Well, well that's, that's interesting. I think, I think it's good for people to hear what... Uh what a person goes through a lot of times to get published and, and to get it. And, and even when you got that first book done, um, did you feel like you had the confidence to, to continue writing or did you feel like you were good enough to write? Like, wait, like a, what I'm saying is I'm trying to get at there's a point where you feel confident enough to call yourself a writer. When did that happen for you? I don't know if I still feel that way today, to be honest with you. Right. Um, because with every project that you do, it, it it can be there's some moment with it that's almost soul crushing that you look at it and you think, "Oh my God, I I can't believe that I have produced something this bad." Right. And I, I can't believe that anyone would ever take this ser anyone would ever take this seriously. So I don't know. I'm sure there are many people, and I that feel differently. And I'm sure that there are 
many people who are very successful in this world that are filled with hubris and feel differently, but that person is not me yeah. when it comes to my writing. Well, I think there's a lot of us that feel that way, but uh, just but sometimes people gain that confidence. And also, now you, the subjects you write about, you know, I know a lot of writers, and I know a lot of people that can do it on a commercial basis. Like they're they're writing uh, uh, books, you know, three or four a year, and they're, you know, it's it's very. Um, industrial I want to call it but they do it really well and I don't think I, mm -hmm. could, I could do that I'm not that person but when so when you write does the subject of the book have to be very important to you yes and that's why I don't think I could do that either um, I have never um, been, I, I, well, I, I, I don't know, um, particularly since um, I, I have been with the same publisher for since the beginning of my career, and this is the first time uh, um, uh, I've gotten going in a very different direction now. Um, and um, my former publisher, I, 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 I love them very much. It's just that um, their brand is very different from the air uh the, the kind of work that i want to do now which is a very uh, much darker more noir type of um material than i had done previously um the last book that i wrote the boys from Ethan carpenter um was sort of a beginning of a turn on the road and i enjoyed working in 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 that in that sort of genre and wanted to really sort of dig deeper into that. Um, and that just is simply not the type of book that Kensington Publishing does. Um, so um, um, I, I, I don't know if I were to go to a, when I go to a different house, whether they would be the type of person, the type of publishing house would, would want to do um, a multi-book contract. Um, I don't know if I could work under the type of deadline that having a multi-book contract would require. Uh, I work as a lawyer. I still do. Uh, it's very demanding. Um, I'm also a healthcare lawyer. Uh, so I have to say that uh, in the last four months, I have probably worked longer hours and more days than I have in the last 10 years. If I were working under a deadline right now to publish, uh, to, 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 to put out, um, let's call it product under a deadline, I would probably go to the top of my four-story house and jump off the roof. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, COVID has really, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful that I am gainfully employed, and the work is extraordinarily interesting. What I'm doing now, uh, but um, it would, it, you know, my my life does not accommodate uh, the idea of you know working on that kind of strict deadline to produce um, a book um, on the kind of schedule that you know doing that kind of you know um, I, I don't want to call it assembly line because that sounds like I'm making a you know, pejorative remark or I'm being pejorative but uh, putting books out on a, on a regular schedule like that uh, that kind of time commitment I, I, I can't make that time commitment and I would not be able to make that time commitment until such a time that I would retire yeah no no I agree I, you know it's meant for some people obviously but not not all that's for sure um, now with each one of your books um, when you write them um, and people read them, is there something you want to get out, you know, that you want that reader to get out of the book? Is it more than the story? Uh, that's, uh, it's funny because I, I don't, I'm sort of like, I, I, I'm thinking of this, I'm being facetious when I say this because I, I happened to pick up the New Yorker last night and, uh, 
there's a, a review, and it's sort of almost sort of like an o- overview of her entire career. Joyce Carol Oates, who happens to be obviously, I have not read all of her work. I don't know anybody who could read all of her work because she's uh, so prolific. Um, probably take a lifetime to read all of her work, but uh, she's written across so many genres. I'm almost like Joyce Carol Oates, and each of my three major works uh, certainly does genre hop. Um, so my, my my first book, and the book that I'd say that I'm best known for, uh, because it's the book that uh, that that has sold the best. It's the book that really established my reputation as a queer writer and in 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 in, in, the, in the queer community. Um, it was a Stonewall uh, honor book, um, my first Lambda Award nomination, um, and um, you know gave me some kind of not stature, but gave me some recognition in that community. It was called Probation. And um, what was unique about that book, um, I, 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 and it was anything but people thought, uh, because it was a first novel, that it was, you know, autobiographical or, as I used this reference before, autofiction. And it certainly was not, because it was a book about an individual who was outed in his early middle age because he was caught doing a salacious act in a men's restroom in North Carolina and was kicked out of his home by his wife of 10 years. Um, I am one of those rare individuals who is, uh, I'm 66, and uh, I've ne- I mentioned a girlfriend at Penn before, but that was not really serious. I've never really been in the closet. Um, I was kind of lucky because I was one of those uh, extremely effeminate young boys that I don't believe my parents had any... They never had any indication that I would ever be anything but gay. So I did not really have any kind of traumatic coming out experience. Um, I think my 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 brief um, my brief experience with heterosexuality came as a shock to them, as a matter of fact. But I've never been in the closet at work, uh, which in the late seventies, early eighties was kind of unusual. Um, I sitting downstairs from me right now uh, is my husband, now legally married husband that I've been with for 41 years. But uh, I, this actually was based on an experience of somebody that I met very, very briefly while I was in law school in North Carolina. And like most of my books, uh, with the exception of the young adult book I wrote, um, was I get my ideas from books of somebody that I might meet that triggers my imagination, and this was based on his, I mean, very, very loosely based on his story, and what people took from it, which I got this enormous reaction, and and it was very, 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 very touching to me, uh, this entire community of men who had lived entire lives of being someone who they were not. And these men had been married, um, had had children, and whether through some traumatic event like the protagonist of this book, protagonist of this book, or for some other reason, um, had come out of the closet, and the coming out of the closet was not an easy event. And and this book was and 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 still is meaningful to them. I still get um, what is called, I guess, fan mail about it. A lot of appreciative mail about it, and uh, to know that that book has impacted people and touched them in many ways um, that that really means a lot to me 
um, also that book meant something. What I wanted to do in that book was I always wanted to do something to for my own parents. So um, the parents of the protagonist in that book, um, the story, those, the, their stories are my own parents' stories. And um, in my own way, I wanted to, to uh, memorial, memorialize them um, in, in a small way, um, in, in sort of vignettes. Um, I would like it some, I mean, I'm not going to be able to ever do what my friend Chris Castellani has done in his magnificent trilogy. He took his parents' life and, uh, wrote a series, uh, trilogy of novels, uh, about their immigrant experience. Um, and I highly recommend it to every any uh, anybody who is interested in the uh, uh, not not the uh, classic Italian American uh, um, immigration experience, but the one that uh, the, the story of immigrants that emigrated uh, after the Second World War. It's, it's, it's really terrific. Uh, I also put in a plug for his latest novel, Leading Men, which was. Uh, which is a story, a novelization of the um, relationship between Tennessee Williams and Frank Marlowe. That's also a terrific novel. Um, so um, just putting in a plug for him there. Um, so that's what I wanted to accomplish with my first novel. And um, now with my second novel, um, well, second and third, uh, the second novel is... Uh, the second novel was really began as a trilogy, and it's called. Uh, it was first put out as a series of three novellas, and it was originally conceived as a young adult novel, and it is uh, because of the, the sexual content was too raw that. Um, there's also a category that librarians call new adult, which allows for more explicit sexual material in it. But when it finally came time for uh, Kensington to market it for awards material, I found myself being labeled a romance writer. So I was nominated for a Lambda Award for Best Male Romance, which I never thought that I would be a bodice ripper. Um, but that book is called Stealing Home, and uh, that is a book of that. Um, this pro- that's actually my favorite book, and that is based. That is probably the closest book to my own life, um, and that is the story over three summers, based two years apart, about a relationship between a young man who is sort of close to me who is um, sort of um, a smart-ass, smart-alecky kid who finds himself in an uh, unexpected relationship with a um, very, very talented, um, unexpectedly sensitive um abused kid who is um got a very um who who is about to embark on a career as a minor league baseball player. Mm-hmm. And um did you just recently have John Michelson on as as a guest on your show I saw? Yeah, I think he was on I think it aired yesterday. Uh, I interviewed him about a week ago. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, he 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 wrote a really really lovely review of that book. It was and uh, that, he, so uh, I I um I was that was really touchy. And he published it on Christmas, so it was uh, it was a it was a really nice Christmas present for me. So um, is that really important? That, like when when someone you know as a writer, um, yes, it is said something good about what you do. Yes, it does. That makes you feel incredibly validated huh. yeah and, uh, I can see that yeah 
it made me feel very, very validated um, when somebody wrote something like that about that. Um, the last book that I wrote then uh, that came out was um, a book called, and, and is led to where I am today, it was called The Boys from Nathan Carpenter, and it's probably the book of How You Found Me, because that is what has led me into what I'm doing now, which is the the the, the subject matter of noir. And um, it really had, I wanted to write something, I, I've lived in Philadelphia since I came here to go to college. Um, I live in an area of Philadelphia called South Philadelphia, which uh, is rapidly gentrifying, but is where uh, Italian Americans came to settle here. Um, and I had had an experience here that was rather ugly during while I was out canvassing for Obama during the 2008 primary, which made me very, very angry, um, sort of a, a minor reflection of what, what's going on now here with the protests here. And um, that is what inspired that book. Um, there is a scene in that book where the main protagonist goes in um, to buy a pack of cigarettes at a lottery dispensing um, convenience store on primary day and has an encounter with the woman running the lottery ticket that actually happened in real life. And that's what inspired me to write that book. Mm. And how it ended up becoming a crime thriller, thriller noir noir was completely generic. I I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it ended up with the book opening up with becoming a story about two brothers and the bond between them and the younger brother who was a prosecutor coming to the older brother's house and finding a leak in the floor and opening up a freezer chest and finding a young boy's frozen body in there um, but I've never enjoyed writing anything more than that mm. and uh, it just sort of opened up I, I didn't want to be sort of pigeonholed as necessarily just doing weird things I love to plot things uh, I love to let my imagination run wild, and um, that's uh, how I've ended up doing what I'm doing now. How how do you develop those types of characters? When you have the two brothers, and, and you've got kind of uh, the idea of what story you're writing, and um, what's going to happen, how do, you, how do you actually create their characters and develop those characters? Because they're fictional, so... Um, how do you know when one person's going to react in another way? And you see, it's, it's unusual for me because I I write from things that have happened, so I take it from what I get as an information. So you create this. Um, is it from people you meet, uh, people you know, or just it just you just kind of go with it like a fly fly by the night? Like how do, how does that happen? This sounds kind of weird, and I, I don't really. I, I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm. I, I, I feel kind of almost odd saying this because I, I don't want to sound like I'm self-inflating. But um, if I went downstairs and you asked my husband this question, he would tell you that I probably have the most overactive imagination of anybody that he's met and I don't mean that in the sense that I have an overactive imagination in the sense that I could write around, sit around and write uh, George Martin type of fantasies about dragons and things like that or science fiction um, I have I, I'm the kind of person that um, I, I sit and, 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 and people often find this irritating about me. I, I will sit somewhere and, for example, go to 
a restaurant or go be anywhere. And I will fixate on somebody that is a complete stranger. And I will find something about them that fascinates me. They could fascinate me in a way that I find very attractive or find extremely irritating. It could be something about their a piece of clothing they're wearing. It could be something about a tick they have. And I can, and I've done this ever since I was a child. It would drive my mother crazy. It would drive my father crazy, my sister crazy, my husband crazy. It drives my coworkers crazy. And I can go from there and I can begin to extrapolate to that until within 30 minutes, I can create an entire history for that person. And, and I've been, I've, I've done that for my entire life. I, I don't know why I've done that, but I, 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 it's just something, and I don't know that it's a gift. Maybe it's a psychosis. I mean, it very well could be. I mean, I am in therapy. I've been in therapy a long time. Uh, so, um, yeah, there you, there but, you go. <laughs> uh, so, but I do, um, I, I find other people to be endlessly fascinating and, um, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way but always to be endlessly fascinating. And everybody has a story. And um, if I don't know it, I will make it up for myself. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is very easy for me to create characters. Um, and one of the issues that, that I have uh, with my writing is, is, uh, I often am in a situation where I am never at a loss for characters in anything that I write because in any manuscript uh, that I have done, I have had to cut characters because there are too many of them. And, for example, my, my editor, Kendrick, John Sconamelia, and uh, Casey and uh, be, who I'd mentioned before, who uh, I had worked with on probation, and um, this uh, incredibly talented uh, reader, Olivia, at my, uh, my agency, Branton Hoffman, on the manuscript that is now being shopped. Um, each of those individuals can tell you, um, they, 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 can, they can list you uh, three buckets of characters that said, like, uh, this is a great person, but this is too many. People are losing crack of this many voices. Hmm. You know, uh, you know, for 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 me, with um, uh, cur- current times, or when things are really kind of, um, you might say, dark in, in essence. You know, COVID nineteen protests, um, nutball president. You got all this stuff going on that's. Um, really effective. Nutball president. <laughs> and I'm using that as a nice term. Uh, but, Please. But when you... Aren't you, aren't you tuning in tonight? To, uh, I don't know when this will be broadcast, but aren't you tuning in to see the, him up there with his face up there mounted with the great four? Or what is it? How many are on Mount Washington? I guess there's four, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. No, Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, I have no interest in him. I'm, I'm actually up in the uh, Canadian studio, and when we watch... The news and we see things going on it's just crazy it's just so crazy but with all of this uh, going on this encompassing thing and yeah. being hit on both ends um, being that you write fiction and being that you're creating so much of the character and the the, the story and everything is this what leads you into writing noir or darker more sinister sort of feeling in your book um is this kind of what what feeds into your do you feed off your feelings no no this no this long predates 
uh, anything that is going on with um, Trump or 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 COVID or um, I have always been inclined to, um, to as, as a child. Uh, I was a huge, huge, huge horror movie um, uh, fan, uh, particularly of the old Universal horror uh, movies. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm not, a, I'm not a pessimistic person, but I have always had a a, a great, um, great, great fascination with uh, with, with with the dark. Uh, I, I think probably if you if you ask me my favorite movies, that they're things like um, I, I I don't want to write horror particularly, um, but I do as a child. I mean, as a child, I, I was always drawn to things that I was never drawn to to, to comedy. I was never drawn to uh, musicals. I was always drawn to things that were um, uh, uh, suspense. I, I, I guess, yeah, the macabre. I, I guess. I mean, that's not noir, but I, I guess there's some relationship to it. Um, and I, you know, when you think about what noir is and what it really means, um, it, it really is the essence of, 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 of not being able to establish any, any sense of, of, of what is right there's sort of a lack of a moral center, I guess, is what it is, and that there's something psychologically malignant. And I don't know whether or not... Well, you asked me earlier, before we got on air, you asked me you know, whether or not there were any... Um, subjects that I did not want to talk about and I told you no my life is an open book and so I mean I will be honest with you okay um, I grew up in a in a uh, very working class um, uh, neighborhood in Pittsburgh and I was very very fortunate that I had uh, very protective parents because it was a very difficult childhood because I was, uh, they used to call me Thomasina. And, not my parents, the, the neighborhood kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was the type of place where you got the crap beat out of you just for being different all of the time. And I will say that, you know, does that damage you in a way? Of course. That is going to impact you in some way that, regardless of what your parents do to protect you, um, there is always going to be some residue or remnant of feeling some level of discomfort in the world, and that feeling that the world is not a safe and not a welcoming place, and that will never quite go away. And, you know, you build up barriers to protect yourself, and that is, that having, you know, I grew up and you learned how to become tough, and I will say that, you know, my life changed dramatically when my voice changed and people began to perceive me differently uh, and life became a lot easier. But that seed of that child who was bullied and who was tormented and whose 
parents had to go knock on people's doors and say, if your kid ever does this to my kid again, I will. And we're on radio, so I won't you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep the language you. down. Yes, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that's probably what draws me to the world of of it, 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 it to, to 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 the dark world of noir. Hmm. Does that does that make sense? Does that it, make well, sense? Well, yeah, of course, of course, and it sort of is you know um, kind of what I'm saying in a sense that there are certain things that happen in your life um, mm-hmm. that lead you into that direction of the darkness. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you want to fix things in your, in your story? Like at the end of the story, is it going to end happy? Do you want to turn it around, um, or do you want no. it just to keep going? No, no, actually. Um, it's interesting. Like, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you, if you, if you uh, for example, at the end of, um, I, 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 w- I, w- I would encourage everybody who's listening in this to go out and buy a copy of The Boys of Ethan Carpenter, as right as well as the other books, too, please. Uh, but at the end of The Boys of Ethan Car- Carpenter, um, it's a very ambiguous ending. Um, and uh is it fixed well it's interesting maybe for one of the brothers it may be fixed in a way but for another brother it's certainly not um but you know there is always this with noir i believe there's always a moral ambiguity uh, with the book that is currently being um, shopped at this point in time now, um, certainly the it's nothing is fixed at the end. There is that same ambiguity at the end. Somebody does, you know, there are issues. Some problems are resolved, but does that mean that they are resolved to the fact that? there is a neat solution and that um, for example crime doesn't pay and that there is a moral ending now that will never happen in anything that I write the book one 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 good thing about COVID here is that uh, that's a horrible thing to say there's no good things about COVID uh, one good thing about being stuck in the house when I'm not working is that uh, even though I'm working very long hours, uh, I've got nothing else to do when I'm not working. So uh, I'm currently working on a manuscript that I've never completed a manuscript this quickly in my life. And in this currently, this this book that I'm, this manuscript that I'm currently working on uh, that is not complete, um, again, uh, the resolution will be morally ambiguous but no um i don't think things ever work out things ever turn out right or things ever correct themselves i don't think that that's the way life turns out um i don't think that's the way the world is um i i don't i don't see it that way no no happily ever after (laughs) no no. Well, well, I did read. I, did, I actually, but, but I, I mean, not in these novels. Uh, I would say that uh, in, um, in 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 the, in the young adult book I wrote, there's sort of a there's sort of a happy ever after. I thought that the readers of that book, does, uh, that the book is called Stealing Home. That if you invested time in in those two young men's story, that you certainly deserved. Um, you deserved, uh, people would want and deserve the happily ever after. And even in probation, it's not, he, it's not a happily ever after, but he achieves a level of peace of mind. Hmm. But those books are not noir. They are definitely not noir. No, no. They're, uh, they're, uh, family thrillers. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. So you play, you just you just want to keep on writing now until you can't anymore type thing. Is that sort of something that you enjoy doing? Well, that's that was that is that is the plan. I mean, uh, the plan is is that this is something that um, for me to keep me well engaged after I no longer practice law. And uh, I don't know how long I will continue to practice law. It's something that I still enjoy, but it really is something that uh, you need to be at the top of your game to do uh, really, really well. And, um, you know, I keep seeing younger people that are very energetic, that are snapping at your heels, and they're just a little bit quicker than you are, and uh, they're a little more technically, techno technologically adept, and uh, they've got a lot more energy. Um, they don't necessarily have the wisdom and experience, but um, and also too, there's I, I don't want to be one of those professionals that is hanging around and people are saying why is he still here so it's it's a del I mean, but on the other hand i i'm just 66 and that's you know a lot most professionals don't retire at 66 but spring. the day is coming soon spring chicken uh, <laughs> so no. not quite <laughs> no. <laughs> old hand <laughs> tough old bird yeah no um <laughs> So now, where are people going to find you? Where do you have a website that people can come and find out more about you? Yeah, it's www.tommendicino, M-E-N-D-I-C-I-N-O, books.com. Fantastic. So uh, we'll have that on our website. I'll have a, a link to your books as well. Um, so um, hopefully people will jump in and, and search out I mean it's very very interesting conversation there's uh it's it's nice to talk to other writers like that so thank you I and I really appreciate you um, searching me out and finding me and um, I mean like I say particularly since uh, I have not been particularly active in the uh, writing game in the last couple of years so uh, your uh, reaching out to me was a, a very very pleasant surprise when I've been immersed in COVID so I have yeah. really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's, a, it's good. To, it's good. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. You're lying to me. Back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.